Good morning to all. I was honored when Reverend Wheeler invited me to supply today's message, but I was admittedly also very intimidated. So I thank you all in advance for your kindness and for the indulgence that uh, is shown to the new guy. And I thank you for the very warm welcome everybody has shown to myself and to Carissa and to Nellie and uh, Margie, the fierce Margie. The information Reverend Wheeler kindly provided me advises that today is Christ the King Sunday. It is the final Sunday in the liturgical year, the end of ordinary time, which is fitting because uh, I'm up here and I'm not very ordinary. Uh, from here I read we move on to the pre-Lenten season. Does anyone know what that's referred to? Shrovetide. There we go. Okay, well, hey, I, I don't feel quite so ignorant. I both respect the liturgical demarcation of time and am fascinated by it because it is a completely foreign tradition to me. I was, the liturgy was not a part of my religious heritage, or at least not an obvious and emphasized one. I was brought up in the denomination of my fathers, a missionary Baptist stretching back 189 years to 1830, when my great-great-great-grandpa donated the land on which still stands the Mount Comfort Missionary Baptist Church, smack dab in the middle of Carroll County, Tennessee. My great-grandfather donated uh, the land on which stands the Oakdale Missionary Baptist Church in northern Caddo County, just south of here. Uh, for point of reference, it's by the deck boat, for those of you who are navigating. In 1907, I was raised in that church and in its customs. I was surrounded at services by multiple generations of my kith and kin, and I am who I am today because of that small country church and all its people and all entailed therein. Good bad and ugly. Oakdale was for me true north, an unchanging anchorage within an ever-changing world. Oakdale's red bricks and white steeple seemed as eternal to me as St. Peter's Square. Indeed, for me, it was the Holy See and the seat of my faith. Maybe it was even my idol, but that's another story. Sadly, perhaps, Inevitably, certainly spectacularly, uh, my immediate family's direct and meaningful ties with the Oakdale Missionary Baptist Church came to an unexpected and rather difficult end within the last few years. And that great traumatic slash dramatic moment marked and marks a great change. The conclusion of one chapter and the beginning of another. I have grappled mightily with the weight and meaning of that crossroads and of other crossroads, like the ending of ordinary time, of late. And the transition from the approach to faith into which I was born to the approach to faith which I have slowly, at times, painfully adopted uh, in, in my adult life has unfolded, oddly enough. As I focused on that, um, I, I've... I've just really become cognizant of, of change and transition on pages turned and days ended and days started on evolutions and revolutions, shifts seismic and, and shifts subtle. And so when I learned that the Sunday on which I was to preach at, at Reverend Wheeler's request marked the end of one portion of the liturgical calendar and the beginning of another, I was yet again intrigued. 
a changing of the liturgical guard from ordinary time to Shrovetide. Riveting, uh, really. Even the text I selected, based on the options offered to me in the Revised Common Lectionary, is permeated by the steadfastness of the Almighty amidst the tumult of uncertainties and dangers and, one might read, the great anxieties and fears of change. The 46th of the Psalms reads, God is, and this is the King James Version. Uh, I'd use the KGV because it's poetic, not because I think it's the language Jesus spoke. Uh, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, there is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her and that right early. The heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord. What desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Amidst the ragings, meltings, roaring, shakings, movings, and removings of our lives, we are called to affirm, will not we fear? Our God is with us. He is our refuge. He is exalted. And so we all can simply flip to this passage when faced with uncertainty and anxiety and take consolation and then will not we fear, right? We can withstand life's great sorrows and unforeseen tribulations by simply rereading this psalm and waving it in the face of our demons of doubt and anxiety and fear, and then we can go confidently about our merry ways, right? Right? I hope you don't find it vulgar of me to presumptuously say that no one among us, or not among us, relishes the ragings, meltings, roaring, shakings, movings, and removings of change. We welcome progress and the righting of wrongs and the upending of abusive and intolerant systems, and we bid good riddance and we cast our shovels of dirt on the, at the deaths of tyrants and dictators. We nod grimly in agreement as the iron throne and all it represents is melted away, but we are, many of us, hesitant to embrace wholeheartedly change as a net good. In fact, I dare say some of us labor feverishly to preserve status quos and stability in order to insulate our lives and our loved ones from upheaval and turbulence. We choose every day order over chaos. In and of itself, this is not an evil. Change for change's sake is an awfully annoying practice, which I have yet to embrace. And a reflexive or reactive insistence on overturning or rejecting tradition or custom and precedent simply because they aren't new is both asinine and unhelpful. 
remove not the ancient landmark, and so forth. Structures and mores are healthy. They exist for a reason. There is tremendous value in preserving continuity and steadfastness, prioritizing, excuse me, continuity and steadfastness, particularly for those aspects of life which embody and promote and perpetuate the positive permanent things. Fidelity to one's family and friends and to one's community and your neighbors and to one's conscience. Hope in better days through better ways that leads to a strong commitment to justice and fairness. Love and all of its complex manifestations and variations, unfailing and unconditional. But to be clear, nowhere in Psalm 46 does the psalmist offer that the Lord will prevent the ragings, meltings, roarings, shakings, movings, and removings from occurring or happening or existing. Change is going to come. I think there's a song about that. Jehovah is not standing athwart history yelling, stop. The God of Jacob is rightly called our refuge, not our deity who makes the world stop spinning. Uh, During my childhood at Oakdale, we often sang the 1874 hymn, Master the Tempest is Raging by Mary Ann Baker. The storm was already blowing when the disciples said, carest thou not that we perish, you know, why, why are you sleeping? We would do well to remember this. Problems and perplexities, trials and tribulations, challenges and changes will befall us step by step, minute by minute. And that's no indicator of God's favor or disfavor or of our own trip-ups or triumphs. It is simply ordinary life, whether we're in ordinary time or Shrovetide or Lent, or anywhere else on the liturgical calendar. So how then shall we as the faithful live and contend with the ever-present possibilities of change and the end of what we now know? It's a weighty question. It's one best reserved probably for philosophers and theologians, of which I am neither, and I'm not arrogant enough to try to answer it here. Uh, Not even the wise can see all ends, Tolkien tells us. But I will offer a brief, brief contemplation. Formulaically, it's I think it's rather simple. Stillness, which we are called to in this psalm, leads to grace and gratitude, which enables us to best face change. That's the Twitter version of today's message, in case you need to communicate that later. I think we have to hold and consider our hearts the imperative that rings forth most familiarly and powerfully and resoundingly from today's psalm. Be still. Calm down. Slow the pace for just a moment. And I think this is not a luxury for us as an, or an ill-informed prescriptive. It's crucial to health and well-being and to being able to access the grace and the gratitude necessary to cope with and process change. Uh, we are so overwrought by this world and by the fear of, of the inevitable changes that come with living in this world that we can't find the space to be still. And that sad inability to heed the call of Psalm 46 to stillness means that we cannot access too cliche, but crucial places to which we must go if we are to healthily and sustainably weather change. 
It's space for grace and it's attitude for gratitude. The red lights are flashing based on widely known quantitative and qualitative data and study telling us all that we are leading dangerously frantic, overly busy lives in this age of constant information overload, frenetic social media exposure, and endless commercialization. This state of nervous exhaustion and overextension means that we are so brittle and inflexible that we have so little margin and room for adaptability and spontaneity that what would be even understandable levels of concern about change and the unknown are magnified and obsessed over because we simply can't fathom having our lives disrupted any more than they already are. We don't, and again, because of our enslavement to our jobs and our iPhones and to mercenary media, we just can't make room in our lives even for other people anymore, much less for the grace and the gratitude required for us to calmly and rationally approach the unexpected in life, which will come. We know it will come. Being still, it's an act of intentionality and searching. In one of his most known passages, Wendell Berry writes, When despair for the world grows in me and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought or grief. I come into the presence of still water and I feel above me the day blind stars waiting with their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world, and I am free. So Garrett King is telling us to approach life's great changes with a brief session of yoga or maybe meditating over at Crowder Lake, followed by a heavenward nod of thanks, big guy, and a smile, a whistle, and a skip. I mean, is that the the takeaway? Believe me, I get it. I am far from an exemplar of grace and gratitude when faced with change. I hate surprises. I... Ask Marcy. (laughs) I plan out, she's been in enough events with me. I plan out my work and my civic roles and family commitments and even my recreation meticulously and with great care. I am notorious within my household for the statement, if it's not noted on my calendar, it doesn't exist. I'm also horribly prone some of y'all are looking at your loved ones right now, so I'll just keep... I'm also horribly prone to overlook just how much I have to be thankful for, mostly because, as I noted previously, I'm so consumed with my to-do list and with the obstacles to getting my own way and to the great unfairnesses of life that on any given day, I'm not, I'm not anywhere close to being able to find stillness and to find the grace and gratitude that you can achieve there. I, above all sinners, need to draw breath and remember the command of Psalm 46 to pause and take stock and reflect and rest, knowing that the God of yesterday is the God of today and tomorrow. Besides, we are all told later in Scripture that by the Lord himself that worrying will not add hairs to our head or years to our lives. And again, though, Stillness is a start. It's not an end-all, be-all, and it is not easy. And many of our fears of change are strongly justified by the world around us. Acknowledging and accepting change is not an invitation to religious complacency. Praying, we shouldn't be praying and reciting scripture while Rome burns and the orphan and the widow and the stranger are abused. 
Some changes are not only unwelcome, they are immoral and unthinkably bad for all involved. There are certainly moments when we must recognize danger and, and with boldness like the archdeacon on the hunchback of Notre Dame yell, stop, uh, to a world desperately in need of moral clarity and time-tested truths. We can and should be engaged as salt and light in the, a changing world around us, not, not daunted by the world's grief, uh, as the Talmud says, but, but engaged enthusiastically and purposely in ministry and in serving. But we can never, ever forget, I can never, ever forget, as Wendell Berry also wrote, that not by my will or my worrying is the house carried through the night. No, the house and our lives and our loves and the things that matter are carried through the night by he who, Psalm 46 tells us, makes wars to cease, who breaks bows, cuts spears, and burns chariots. It is to us to be still, to behold, and to make glad his city. And as a father to two young daughters who are my entire world, I'm deeply concerned about leaving an equitable, just, and open society to my children and to their posterity. Uh, my wife and I's work and our activism and our investment are oriented towards helping Nellie and Margie and all of our children live in a better world. But the headlines I read and the information I analyze and the failures of leadership and intelligence and humanity, I observe, cause me tremendous concern and admittedly fear. And I chasten myself for succumbing to that fear. It's not productive for me to fear, but it is human. So rather than denying or trying to suppress the fear of the ragings, the meltings, the roarings, the shakings, the movings, and the removings that Psalm 46 talks about, maybe we should all just acknowledge that the fear of change and of an unknown future is an inherent part of our humanity. Nod to it, accept its presence, Never surrender to it. Definitely don't plan around it or form our worldview based on it. Don't believe its lies. We know the truth. Because in Psalm 46 we know there is a river. There is a refuge. And our God has promised to be with us even while the ground shakes and the sky unfolds. You know, Maya Angelou once wrote something along the lines that we waste precious hours fearing change when we should instead be loving others and building a better world and being grateful for the time and the gifts we've been given. Put it another way, as Nora Jo Larson, one of Oakdale's grandees, once told me long ago, do your best and God will do the rest. At some point, we have to be still, which will help us to make space for grace in our lives and which will also help us to adopt an attitude of gratitude. I found this personally to be very true as I face the unforeseen, daunting task of reorienting my perspective on just what church looks like following the end of my family's relationship with Oakdale. So stunned and saddened was I by this great divorce that I couldn't will myself to walk into any church for a prolonged period of time, over two years. At the lowest valley of that season of coping, with an unexpected and very painful change, I was not so much choosing to be still and knowing that God was God as I was immobilized by shock 
and not even sure if God was there at all. Fortunately, the Psalms 46 prescriptive held firm, even though I did not grasp at the time that I was living it out. In my sabbatical from active church attendance and engagement with organized religion, I found stillness and an opportunity to examine a new Christianity and Christ. And in the stillness of quietly sorting out my spiritual disinheritance, I was able to discover the grace to move on and the gratitude for much good that had been. I speak from a church pulpit this morning only because when one of my life's most difficult changes struck me like a lightning bolt, I took the time to retreat, to be still, and to find my way to grace and gratitude and the God that makes both possible even amidst loss and grief. Ordinary time has ended. A new time is begun. You know, even just the act of choosing a psalm for today's reading is in keeping with the theme of change and transition. The right Reverend N.T. Wright puts it thus, The psalms call us to pray and sing at the intersections of the times, of our time and God's time, of the then, the now, and the not yet. The psalms help to position us within the rhythm of a life lived in God's presence. It seems to me that we're striving and maneuvering for that position when Psalm 46 really just says, be still in order to find that place. We want to get there, that tabernacle of the Most High that Psalm 46 talks about. We want to know it. We want to feel it. We want to live within it all of our days, that sweet spot of knowing we're in God's presence and in his will. On most days, that place feels as far away as the surface of Mars, though, for most of us, I think. But we should, that doesn't mean we stop pausing. That doesn't mean we stop reflecting. Practice makes perfect. It might even make divine. And if being, being still helps us reach a different place where we reflect on the God of Psalm 46 and where we consider our own humility and our own humanity, and maybe in that space we have the grace to be governed less by fear of change and more by love of our neighbor. And maybe in that space, further up, further in, we can be still and focus our thoughts on the refuge and the peace that the God of Psalms 46 offers. And in doing so, we might be moved to a greater appreciation for our omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient refuge and strength. And if we're clothed in grace, we're clothed in gratitude, I really don't know how better, much better equipped we can be to face change than that. The blessed John Henry Newman, in contemplating times of change and the need for grace and gratitude as we face them, once wrote, The sun sinks to rise again. The day is swallowed up in the gloom of night to be born out of it, as fresh as if it had never been quenched. Spring passes into summer and through summer and autumn into winter, only the more surely by its own return, to triumph over that grave towards which it resolutely hastened from its first hour. We mourn the blossoms of May because they will wither, but we know that May will one day have its revenge upon November by the revolution of that solemn circle which never stops, which teaches us in our height of hope, always be sober, and in the depth of our desolation, never despair. My friends, 
the ragings, meltings, roarings, shakings, movings, and removings aren't going to stop. That is the nature of our time here. Rather than fearing the unknown, rather than fighting change, let's do justly, love mercy, walk humbly. And when life's sound and fury are so terrible that we can't follow those simple but powerful directives, let's be still. Let's remember who rides the whirlwind that governs the storm and blesses our enterprise. And in being still, we can and will find a refuge with space for grace and an attitude for gratitude that will allow us to best live out the faith we profess. Unchanging values of charity and tolerance and compassion in an ever-changing world sorely in need of them. Thank you for listening. And now... I will turn it back over to Dr. Griffith. Our hymn is number 715.